Welcome back to The Modern Urologist. I'm Dr. Todd Cohen with Myriad Genetics. And uh, once again, I am welcome to have uh, Dr. Ed Cohen from Genesis Health Partners out in San Diego and Dr. David Ellis with Midlantic Urology in the Philadelphia Metropolitan. Uh, thanks again, guys, for uh, week three. So we're, we're kind of moving along here with uh, COVID life. So, uh, you know, like we talked about a little bit earlier, things have changed. Week one, panic. We don't know what's going to happen. No one knows what's going to happen. Where are we going to be? Week two, a little bit more settled. We kind of have an idea. They made changes to telemedicine, which we'll talk about in a little more detail. Uh, week three is, is a big change. Things, you're, gonna, you're making changes in the practice. And uh, I'd like to talk about that. So how have things changed from last week to this week? It's the question I asked you last week, so I'm going to ask it again. We got this problem solved. I mean, that's really where we are now. In Philadelphia Metro, we're still a little over two weeks from the crest of the wave coming through, uh, but plans are in place. Uh, we have seen our practice get decimated by this, as everybody has seen. We've had to go through furloughs and layoffs and salary reductions and hourly cuts in order to make things more viable, but we can all see the end of, the end of this wave. And I don't know when it's going to be, whether it's really going to be in May, June, July. I kind of think towards the end of July, all the patients start coming roaring back. What you have to do is stay in business and be accessible to your patients in the meantime. And oh, by the way, keep yourself from getting infected. So we're there. Um, the government has stepped up with certain rescue funds, if you will. We've gone to the bank and borrowed money. And it was kind of funny uh, that the bank itself said, well, what's your COVID-19 plan? you know, how are you going to survive this? Because they want to make sure they're investing in a reasonable business. And we kind of looked at them cross-eyed and said, we're healthcare. What you, we're going to be the first people to have patients and the government pays. And the banker went, oh yeah, that's right. Okay, you're approved. I mean, that's how that went. Uh, because we're not in the entertainment industry, restaurant industry and all the rest. When will the patients wind up going out to dinner? That I don't know. And we know kind of what's coming. And now, it just reminds me of a Rocky movie when he, when he looks at Mr. When Mr. T gets interviewed. He goes, champ, what do you predict about tonight's fight? And he looks at the camera and he goes, pain. And yeah, that's right. We've just got pain, but we know it's going to end and then we're going to get back on with it. So that's my thought. Okay, so I'll open it up to both of you. You said you made changes. You've made staff changes. Give me some specifics. What kind of staff changes did you have to do I think Dave and I have handled this differently. I am, I'm not quite where he's at yet. I think he's a little farther uh, ahead. We, we're doing the changes that uh, we're just instituting actually right now. We, uh, you know, obviously all the docs have taken, uh, taken a hit. And it's surprisingly how some of them are like, why me? Or I can't believe that. I've got a, you know, a PA who's like, well, my contract says, it's like, okay, you're right. You have a contract that says I got to pay X. Do you not know what's going on in this world? I mean, we've got a little millennial stuff going on that, that's driving wow. me nuts. But um, but just now we're cutting, you know, we're trying to keep everybody kind of going. So we're cutting 20 to 25% across the board, you know, basically keeping everybody uh, employed and, and doing what they need to do. And I'm hoping that's going to be enough. You know, I hear Dave talk, it makes me anxious that maybe it wasn't enough. But, you know, um, we're we're looking at the loans that are going to be available to us and we're uh, getting in line for those. And um, 
I'm hoping that works out. Uh, it should. And getting enough of my war chest uh, in place. And like I said, I think if this really is three months, two to three months, we'll be fine. We'll have cut enough salaries. We'll have deferred enough payments to things. We'll have got enough money. Um, you know, what we're going to look like on the backside is, you know, trying to, trying to come out of this with as little real debt as possible. That'll be, that'll be the key thing for us. But, um, you know, Dave, you're farther ahead than, than we are. Um, and, and we're expecting the same crest in about two to three weeks. But Ed, you're smarter than I am. So I'm listening to what you're doing. I'm taking notes. <laughs> well, it's, it's all about, you know, we talk about disaster plan going into this, and this is kind of what we're doing. But, you know, it really on the, on the flip side, you got to think about recovery plan on the backside. How are you going to handle this influx of uh, patients? We have backed up procedures. We're going to have a lot of those. You'll be vying for operative time. You know, how are you going to function on the backside of this is going to be the next conversation as we're trying to figure out, um, you know, how we're, how, how we're going to make it through. But to Todd's point, I believe you no longer feel as though your practice is lethally threatened. Correct. We had a shareholder meeting uh, Monday night and we went through, you know, I think they were nervous and anxious and, you know, because they kept sending me emails about things I was already doing and frankly just had to tell them, please shut up. I, I, I kind of get it. I know what we have to do. Um, and then I presented it all on, uh, on Monday and it was, you know, they kind of just like, oh, okay, great. You know, every, they all felt like, okay, now I don't have to worry about this. Someone else got it. But up until then, everybody had their two cents to put in about what, you know, what to do. It's like, I got it. Yeah, you right. guys talk about loans and, uh, and things. Give me the specifics. What are you, what are you going after? Uh, Louie down the street. <laughs> yeah. and, and 29% interest. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Uh, yeah. It's, it's basically, um, Dave, I don't know if you went for the, the advanced payment on the Medicare. Um, you can get roughly three months worth of, of payment up front. Um, it, you got to pay it back. That's okay. It's going to be a, a adjudication nightmare at some point. <laughs> trying to figure that out but yep. you know to me it's getting cash you know getting cash in my in my account now so i have the, the the money to deal with it's all about cash flow the benchmark is august 1 to december 31 of 19 whatever medicare paid you on a specific doctor whatever they paid you in that quarter is right. what they will advance to you now and they're going to take it back i think by the end of november over a three month period. I'm not sure about that, but I do know the benchmark quarter is the fourth quarter of 19. Actually, the way it works is you get the three months, you get a four month, 120 days without paying back, and then it's a seven month payback period to which they basically just claw it back. So that's right. the sequence. So you do get a, you know, the four month, at which you can build whatever Medicare you can build in that four months, uh, obviously, but then, then they just, everything you build after that, as you bill it, they just keep it. So it's something like a nine month payback after? Get the Here's months, the one that I you'll think. be truly impressed by, and they're going to give you that money without sequestration. Whoopee! What's two percent? Two percent? Hey, listen. Oh, oh God! Don't get me started. <laughs> now, what about what about that the the SBA loan to help with the employee stuff? There's that, two of those. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ed. Uh, I, I'm, so, I'm so deep in this stuff. It's, it's like, I guess I've been talking about it endlessly. 
Um, there's, there's an SBA disaster loan, which is truly just a loan, a 30-year loan, 3.75% interest, and that's kind of different. If you got that loan, you could roll it into the, the CARES Act a pay, Paycheck Recovery or Paycheck Protection Loan, which is also an SBA loan. SBA, SBA loan number one goes through the SBA. This CARES Act actually goes through a bank, so you need to be tied into a bank that does SBA loan administration. That loan, it's designed as uh, average pay, payroll at a time frame. There's two different time frames they give you, and it's multiplied by 2.5, up to salaries of 100,000, um, and that's a bucket of money that you're gonna get. Your utilization of that money is to go beyond payroll. It can be used for payroll, rent, uh, in interest on debt, uh, utilities. Uh, I'm doing this off the top of my head. There's one or two more. Yeah. Um, and so the, you can utilize that money um, for payment. If your number of, and this is the complex formula that's still confusing people because it's not really clear, but basically if you keep your employees on staff or rehire those employees back be before a certain time, and that time is not well-defined yet because in one place it seems like it's 30 days after they enacted the loan. Somewhere else it says June 30th. So the, the, I'm still waiting to get a definitive answer. But there's some point in time where if you've laid off the employees, you bring them back, or your employees are still there, um, that uh, you meet that criteria, the loan will then be forgiven if you can show that you use that money for those items I just listed. Potentially it's a grant. Potential. Yes. Well, not at first. I mean, it's really is a loan, and you can make it a grant if you meet the benchmark of having the same relative payroll in June that you had before this started. Okay. And and to the degree that you haven't, if you wind up say being five employees short, they were a hundred thousand a year employees, and so you know it's over a quarter or something like that. That money that would be attributed to those employees remains a loan. But the other employees that you got back in, that turns into a grant. It's odd to me because it's just another way of having unemployment insurance. Right. Except that it's being done kind of through the Fed instead of through your state. It's taking the unemployment money from the left hand and putting it in the right hand. Yeah, pretty much. Except you, you now become yeah. the brokers because instead of them getting a check from the Fed, the employee... Right. They're getting a check from their place of employment and we're, we're getting the check. So, but it seems to be worthwhile doing. I can't believe that they have put enough money into this to cover all the businesses because it's not just healthcare, it's everybody. Yeah. You know, think of every barbershop that is closed that isn't ever going to open and the restaurant and, you know, uh, it's, it's really something. The advantage is, is that you have control of that money within your practice. And so at, at, at least to, to a certain extent, um, it allows you to, again, it's all about cash and managing that cash flow and making sure you can pay the necessary bills. And uh, I, I think that it kind of gives you that little bit of flexibility. Um, and at the end, you can always tweak what you need to tweak and put the money towards an acceptable expense to get yourself um, to full, te technically full forgiveness, okay. as long as you have the employees back. I want to ask you guys now, everybody has talked about how wonderful this whole move to telemedicine is and how it is just the savior for everybody's practice. But talking to you guys, the, in reality, not so much. So here's the deal. Um, we all race to do telehealth and more or less, uh, if, it if it remains true 
that you can meet all the needs, all the requirements of telehealth, you can bill an office visit. Uh, and it is relatively difficult to get above a level three visit, uh, which is, um, you know, because you don't really have the physical exam component available. Uh, you can get there with enough chief complaints and medical decision making to get above that, but it's, it is a bit challenging, sometimes on time. Um, but assume that you're getting twos and threes, mostly. And uh, these are patients that come into your office, um, except you're now visiting them at home. And so you, there isn't all the ancillary stuff. You're not getting a urine analysis or an ultrasound or whatever you might order, a blood draw or whatever. And so, um, and then you're spending actually more time to make it all right, because it takes a while to get connected and then they fumble with their phone and you get the visual thing going and then you got, they're looking for their pills and their wife is yelling at them in the background because they've already been housebound for two weeks. They want to have a fight. And you're like, Hey guys, time out, you know, let's have a and, and, and it, it does take more time. And then you've got to document that. And then you've got to move on. And all of that is for a greatly reduced amount of revenue than you would normally get from a regular office visit. And it really is more work, both Ed and I, I've talked about how hard it is to maintain your day because there's so much going on and it's much harder to visit with a patient this way. But we all gravitated to it because we do, we, we want to take care of our patients. We're obligated. We, 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 we want to make sure that they're getting the health care that they need. We're hopeful that it brings some revenue to the practice, but quite frankly, it's a whole lot of effort for not a whole lot of revenue and it'll, you know, we're better off than many other industries. There's no, no doubt about that. But it's, it is a bit frustrating to do all that work and you turn around the end of the day and you go, huh, is that all that we're gonna get from this? Hmm, okay. So it does reset your reality. Go ahead, Ed. Uh, Dave gets me out of the house, what the heck? <laughs> uh. <laughs> Having spent the spending, I know you don't feel sorry for me, but spending all day on Zoom calls and you know teleconferences, like Dave, you were saying, you don't even know you're not getting up, and all of a sudden you haven't gotten up for four or five hours. It's like, oh my God, what's going on here? I know the colorectal guys are going to win at the end, you know, when we all run in there to get our hemorrhoids banded. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> I think we find that it's making us feel like we're doing something. Um, I don't think that many of my guys understand the reality of that it's really, uh, I think it's gonna, it's offloading some of the backfill that we're gonna have on the, on, on the backside when all of a sudden we get dumped on with all these patients. We're taking care of some things that allow us to spread these patients beyond, uh, you know, uh, the three months, you know, the two, three months when things pick up. So it, it, it serves some benefit. And I think we still have the goal of being around being available because we are a backstop or a filter or whatever to preventing patients ending up in urgent cares and ERs, which are being horribly impacted uh, or will be. And um, you know, I think we just need to be there to provide the service. So it, I, I hope we have it in the future because it'll be helpful, uh, but to run a practice this way, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's not sustainable. So what are you guys trying to do? Or are you trying to do anything to augment what you can do? Is there anything? I mean, you got telehealth. I mean, how are you using your APPs? Or, or are they doing anything in particular? Or 
anything different? Or are they just kind of filling the voids where checking in with patients and just keeping that running? Legal to grow cannabis in California, no. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's uh, we with a greatly reduced staff. Um, everyone is running around with too much to do, trying to serve the patient who calls or we're calling them and trying to reschedule and set up these telehealth visits. Uh, it is more than a full-time job for everyone. So we don't have any real time to think. And while we have it now controlled and we understand, you know, moving from office visits in the office to office visits through telehealth is a huge change of workflow and expectation, as you said in the beginning, it's been a, we're a couple of weeks in, so people kind of get it, but we're still reactionary. There's something that happens new every day that is like, oh my God, we have to adapt to that. You know, whether it's now we're wearing masks in the office full time, or the CDC says something else that you know promotes a different behavior. You know, there's there's something going on, um, and so there's just not a lot of free time as we are keeping the patchwork network of the practice operating because as you reminded me i said before we're healthcare we don't close uh you know and we god forbid if one of our staff goes down because they have to be quarantined or they actually have the damn virus uh that just leaves the rest of us working harder and running around because we can't close we are healthcare so uh there isn't any real free time for us to be discussing the issues of the day because we're just really running from urgent to urgent. I wouldn't say emergent, but urgent to urgent. What's happening in the hospitals from a urologist standpoint? I have seen seemingly a decreased number of consults. We know that our ER is 20% down in terms of uh, normal volume because we haven't gotten the surge. California you know, um, got ahead of the, um, of the social distancing fairly early. Um, and uh, honestly, uh, for whatever reason, they're more consumed with other stuff and really not bothering us with stuff we don't really need to take care of. You mean you're not saying that the 90 year old from the nursing home that just happens to be in the hospital, so they wanna take care of all of their chronic issues like incontinence? And, right. and it's easy for us to say, that's a four millimeter stone. You have them pain controlled, send them home. We'll see them later. It really is a bit different. We're, we're looking at the surge. The hospital has emptied itself out in preparation for the surge. And, you know, here in Philadelphia, which is not going to be New York at all. Uh, we, it looks like we will have enough or close to enough ICU beds and ventilators to meet the need based on the predictions. What do I know? But that's what I read. Um, and so um, we're prepared. Now, all elective surgery has been canceled, and the hospital takes it upon themselves to decide what is elective surgery. But all cancer surgery that I know of has also been canceled because it's been deemed elective, and it really boils down to do we want to waste the masks and gowns and gloves on that, or do we want to keep them available to treat the, the COVID emergency? So um, that is a palpable change, and the hospital really has a very reduced census, and so, and the consults are way down, which is fine. Um, in the beginning, when this seemed to be an old man's disease, you had the old guys saying, I don't even want to be in the hospital at all. Uh, and then, and now the young guys get to say, well, 
everyone there who's on a ventilator is young and I don't want to be there either. And then you also have millennials who say, well, I just don't really want to work too hard. <laughs> and so it's, you know, you get a combination, but it has definitely changed. But we expect, you know, that's all going to come roaring back too. I mean, you know, these people don't get better themselves. I've had, a, I had a conversation with a patient today who has a history of passing stones eight times uh, he's got blood in his urine twice, which scared him because he's never seen blood before. He's had, he was having nine out of 10 flank pain last night, took a bunch of Tylenol, made it through the night. And now I'm talking to him on the phone and he kind of wants to know what to do. And I said, well, look, if you can't stand it, then at least, you know, understand that you can take some Percocet because he didn't have any. And then it's a whole federal case now to get somebody a narcotic, at least in my state. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, you can't even prescribe it. The guy's not allowed to drive over and get up or get a prescription. You can fax it to the pharmacy, but now because of their regulations, they refuse to take a fax. Hey, you know, so now what? You, you find Ultram for the guy. And I said, look, and if that doesn't work, you're going to wind up in the emergency room. Oh, no. I can't go to the emergency room. There's, I said, look, I don't blame you. You should stay out of the hospital for a good six or eight weeks at least Absolutely. with what's going on. And, you know, and I said, but the choice will be yours. At least you now you will get you some Ultram. And so now you can at least have some peace of mind. But it's, it's a different conversation. I had another patient who clearly has, he has bladder cancer. He had gross painless hematuria. He got scoped in the office a while ago. He was scheduled for uh, he was actually supposed to take a cruise, and then as soon as he came back, I was going to do the TUR because it was clearly, you know, to me, it looked very superficial on a stock. It wasn't going to be a big deal, and now he's shut out, and he's worried he didn't take the cruise, and now he's getting shut out of going to the operating room, um, and I said, look, who knows what the future is, but you're probably going to be fine. There's no reason to really suspect that this would become a metastatic circumstance, but that's where you are. And these are interesting conversations that we normally would not ever have. We all grew up in this healthcare system that at least had plenty of opportunity for volume. And now it's really grandly restricted. So in that patient, you said, just go ahead, go on your cruise. <laughs> Probably <laughs> A little while ago, his wife was just determined to go on the cruise. And I said, they may not let you off the boat, but they ultimately thought better of it. <laughs> now, I heard recently, I actually just heard today about a graduating urology resident that had a job back in the fall and the group that he was supposed to join called him up and said you can't come until like november december right. do you see that kind of with these new grads with the way things are jobs getting rescinded or because people want to go back and do, do you see that happening more and more I mean, this is an isolated incident that i know of but no, I'm I'm hoping by September we're back functioning well enough because I have you know September October I've got one coming, um, and the problem is is that you know you cannot stop planning for the future, you know you just can't freeze you know you're leading a large group you've got things going on you know you've got you know demands that need to be met, and you're going through this crisis right now so you're prepared you know. We prepared for this crisis, as Dave said. Now we're ready. We're okay. We can handle this. But you can't stop planning for what the future is, and the needs and uh, of the group. We, no one knows what the new norm will be, but you know, again, there's going to be patients that need to be seen, and uh, and uh, you know, there's going to be urologists that need jobs. I don't know the details of that circumstance, and that's certainly not happening here. But I agree with Ed. 
we all know our practices are fundamentally fine. And if they needed that doctor before, they still need that doctor in September. Um, and he may as well show up in July and help with what, what's going on. You know, if that's when they were going to bring them on, uh, you know, that's a, that's a short-term expense. It's not really going to be a huge deal. Uh, and and I, unless you, I don't know, unless the finances or something, but uh, uh, there's plenty of other jobs for that kid if this job isn't suitable. I mean, there's a huge shortage of urologists and there's plenty of opportunities. Do you think that people, maybe some small groups especially, are going to take this and go, gee, this may be my impetus to join a hospital or you think it's going to cause more consolidation in urology? There's no doubt that people get scared with change and they just want to run and hide. And the classic place to go hide is with the hospital. Of course, the hospital is losing its incentive to hire these doctors now. Uh, and so that may not be a, a proper bailout position. But if you, if you guys get the media monitor that's published from LUGPA, uh, and it comes out every Monday, um, the lead article was a very poignant article about doctors in the hospital getting pushed around by administrators and told they can't wear a mask even though they have a mask because it'll look like they didn't bring enough for the class and all these other rude, ridiculous things that have happened. Um, and, and, and it was a great testimonial to why you wanna work for yourself and not for a hospital. Yeah, no, I think there's gonna be um, some people who are not gonna fare well through this. They're gonna find themselves in some economic hurt on the backside of looking for um, uh, help. And I think that um, is going to come from some type of large entity. It could be the hospital. It could be uh, a large independent group um, uh, that's financially sound and, and ready to bring on, you know, uh, some new groups. So there's a potential for some consolidation after this. Um, Last question I want to ask you guys is, we both talk about the future when this is ending. What are, are you doing anything specific to uh, prepare for when the lights come back on? Chilling the bottle of champagne. I, I don't think it's going to be a switch that gets turned on. The, the turn off is always, the on is, is going to be a staged uh, process going forward. It's just, I don't think all of a sudden things will open back up and say, we're open for business again. There's going to be um, a certain level of anxiety. There's going to be a certain level of recommendation. There's going to be a testing component to, to what opens up. You know, um, if you test uh, positive for antibodies, you're allowed to go back in society. May, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? But I do not believe it's just going to turn back on. I, on the other hand, think that there's going to be a real flood of patients. And we're going to be in a semi-crisis mode getting them all back in and seen. And while we already have learned plenty of lessons, I anticipate we're gonna see some process changes, workflow changes for the better in our office as we hire back and as we uh, schedule patients and move things through. There's, there's really gonna be an opportunity to improve um, because we are currently in this environment of having to do without, it makes it much easier to know how to do it with. Um, so I'm optimistic for the future, to be quite honest with you. Um, but specifically what I've done, no, I still expect that there's going to be all these minute-to-minute -minute daily stabs by text, email, phone, people knocking on my door, 
uh, and, and as we flood back up, but I do expect life to settle truly, you know, fourth quarter, October, we should be kind of back to where we were in first quarter. And, and, and just knowing that, and just knowing that Mr. T says pain in between now and then, okay, that I can do because I, I, it's finite. So I want to thank you again for coming on and sharing your stories and your insights. Thanks again. Thanks, Thanks Todd. Todd. It was great. Todd, uh, Dave, nice talking with you again. Ed, as always, it's a pleasure.